This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast for visiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Come Back, Mrs. Noah, episodes five and six. The fact remains, we are stuck in this room for the foreseeable future. And she's the crumpet. (laughs) (laughs) That is a damnable thing to say. I'm leaving. (laughs) Oh, yes, where are you going to? You've got lots of choices, haven't you? You can have a happy half hour with your plunger. <laughs> and there's a continental novelty gas tank and you a tickle with his coat hanger. Oh, if you're feeling really adventurous, why don't you put on your magnetic boots and go jogging up the wall? If I wanted exercise, I'd box your ears, you cheeky monkey! <laughs> Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast that's burning up on re-entry. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? <laughs> that should be what's on your gravestone. Burning up on re-entry. That's burnt, cool. Burnt up on re-entry. Yeah, yeah. Mm, People will be bad. like, oh, that guy, what did he do? For his, was he an astronaut? They'd be like, no. This guy lived. <laughs> he was a Red Bull X Games jumper of some That's sort. That's right, right. Are the X Games still a thing? I think they're just the, I think the brand is still a right. thing. They may, they may have the occasional, like, fly your biplane under the london bridge or something i assume after a generation goes by what was cool is now no no longer cool anymore i mean i think that's safe to say i think i think it's safe to say that what you liked is probably uncool now yeah but i mean specifically but like an example of the x games i don't know why we're talking about this (laughs) you just love those x games and you're sorry to see them go yeah i'm very very sorry with all their roller skating hijinks or whatever they do well and you don't drink coffee you're a red bull man yeah yeah i've you know i've never had a red bull in my life never had a red bull in your life no no you're from a you're you're a different kind though. You're a different set. That's true. <laughs> it's orange juice for me or nothing. <laughs> you everything that you liked was from a generation before that, so it was just like, uh-huh. you weren't interested. I'm like Ovaltine. That's for me. Have you had Ovaltine? I have had Ovaltine. Yes. <laughs> I've never had it. So there you go. I had a friend growing up, and you know, sometimes when you're young and you go to someone's house and everything's like a little bit off. I remember that was one sign that you're in a different household. They didn't have hot chocolate. They had Ovaltine. Is that what Ovaltine is? Hot chocolate? It's like a very uh, more bitter kind of hot chocolate. You know what I thought it was? A diuretic. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it might be. Well, that shows how much, how little I know about Ovaltine. I don't think that's how they advertise it, though. Thanks for tuning in to the Ovaltine <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's not why anyone called. Yes, they called because this is our final episode on Comeback Mrs. Noah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We made it. In all ways, it's been a wild ride, hasn't it? I mean, you can't say less than that, I suppose. And in some ways, I would say these are their best episodes and also the episodes which they sunk to the new lows. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm interested to hear what you think about these then. Um, Before we get started, though, we haven't really talked about any background on this show, so Mm -hmm. I thought I'd give you and the listener a little context. Like, I'll be honest, I didn't have a ton of time to do research, but I'll sort of give you at least a general overview of why this show exists. Well, I'd be surprised to see what you found because I have looked into... A lot of the show and there's bits and pieces but i haven't found anything too deep into the mechanics behind everything no i mean neither have i i think the the big thing i found was when sort of looking slightly at this was uh basically that the creators and the mrs noah actors was um they're all part of like a long running bbc yeah. comedy are you being served mm-hmm. so this is quite clearly like they had a huge success 
what's your next show? And I mean, the expectations for this must have been like ridiculously high. There's mm-hmm. no way, like if you were coming off of such a big success. So it's very funny. Like it's just that thing where you like make a thing that doesn't work after you've made a thing that everyone loves. And uh, this must have just been such a disappointment. It's the old uh, second album problem. You know, you spend your whole life doing that first album and then everyone's like, it's great. Do another one. And then you'll have a year to make, you know, the next great thing. Yeah. I mean, you put the whole band back together, but it just wasn't the same. Yeah, exactly. You put the whole band back together and shot them into space. And for some reason, people weren't interested. <laughs> and gave very little uh, consideration or thought into what you were doing. I mean, I think they uh, were like, we've got this. We know exactly what the future is going to be like. We're going to take care of it. Um, but that sort of, I think, where it's, I, I think with that in mind, I'm like, okay, I can kind of place this at least as far as like why, why it was made, why they're given the green light on such like a high concept project like it just seems so high concept it does make sense that you'd have to be someone that like we'll trust whatever you want to make next because it's just like who in the 19 it's like quark is like who wanted this that's the funny thing because i think there were at that time period quite a large variety of different tv shows but i can't think of too many space-based comedies like i think it's been tried but i did that ever work i think science fiction comedy on television probably i'm sure we could go back and read a history of it but Mm -hmm. it seems like it's a checkered history and the further you go back i think the harder it is you know i can think of a few modern ones that like even still didn't really pass a season but like you know every now and then someone takes a crack at it's like what about a comedy on a spaceship yeah though it happens occasionally i believe the orville is still on the air that's right yeah and i mean look they they tried to make this there's definitely sort of like out there sci-fi ideas in this show it's just sort of buried under you know racism (laughs) a little little bit there here and there yeah just pepper throughout yeah some terrible bitter flavor (laughs) (laughs) all right well jordan in in this sort of spirit of this i've put a little game for you together oh wonderful uh it's a classic jordan game uh match the actor to the role oh wow i'm gonna do really poorly on this i can tell you right now you don't know your british actors from 1978 no no I don't think I recognize any of these actors. Fair enough. I mean, I didn't recognize a ton of their <laughs> credits either, so it's going to be real, uh, I don't know. I can't think of a... Crap I shoot. can't think of anything. Oh, sure. There, that's something. <laughs> All right. I'm going to run down the five actors I'm going to go through. There's Molly Sugden, mm-hmm. Mrs. Noah. Yep. Ian Lavender, Clive Cunliffe, the BBC reporter. Right. Donald Hewlett, Carstairs, the older mathematician. Right. Michael Knowles, Fenshaw, yeah. the younger mathematician. Is Fenshaw? Oh, no, Gar- Garstang. He's the uh, he's the, the guy who's constantly beaten up on, right? Yes, that's uh, Joe Black, Garstang, the maintenance guy of, uh, of a lower class. Than well, and we'll talk about this more later, but you mentioned the previous podcast. I think he's the breakout star of the show. I 100% agree. <laughs> All right, Jordan. So those are our five casts we're going to go through. I'm going to give you five shows. And you then can try to match. Do you want to go show by show? Or do you want me to give you five and you try to match them? Give me all five and then I'll match them after. Great. Uh, this actor was in one episode of the New Avengers. Hmm. The New Avengers. What year was the New Avengers? I believe that was also in the 70s. Okay. Probably late 70s. Probably. I did not write that down. I wrote down the years of everything else. Just not that. Um, one of the actors was in Vampire's Kiss, the 1988 Nicolas Cage vehicle. Oh, I wonder if I've seen Vampire's Kiss. Hmm. I think it's a comedy-ish. I okay. haven't seen it. Um, one of them was in Goldeneye, but not that Goldeneye. The 1989 film that was a biopic about Ian Fleming in which Charles Dance of um, Game of Thrones played Ian Fleming. Oh, weird. I've never heard of, heard of that. Yeah, I was like, cool, Goldeneye. 
Uh, and then actually James Bond related. So there you go. Uh, next up, one of the actors was in Cluedo, a 1990, <laughs> a 1990 game show in which celebrities played Clue. Yeah, yeah. I I have a vague remembrance of uh, of Cluedo. And I'll give you a little hint here. This will help help uh, help you hone in. They played the role of Professor Plum. Oh, okay. And then one of the actors was on 23 episodes of Coronation Street. Mm, okay. Which you have a familiarity with, I feel. No, my mom watches it sometimes, but I don't really know it. I assumed it was on in your house. It feels like <laughs> that's the case. <laughs> All right. So we got five. I would say let's start with, let's start with the, what was it, Vampire's Kiss? Is that what the Nicolas Cage movie is called? That's the one. I'm going to say that Donald Hewitt, Hewlett was in it. Okay. And let's go to Cluedo. I'm going to say Cluedo had Michael Knowles. Okay. And what else did we have? Uh, you had the New Avengers, Goldeneye, and Coronation Street. Okay. I would say Ian Lavender was in Goldeneye. Okay. I think Molly Sugden did a little time in uh, Coronation Street. Okay. And then who was the last person in the last show? You haven't said the New Avengers, I believe. Oh, okay. New Avengers and whoever's last. That's Garstang. Oh, Garstang. Break yeah. out, breakout star Garstang. Yeah, yeah. Joe Black. Yeah. Meet Joe Black. That's He's Garstang. I'm, I'm going to... Now, before you give me the scores, my guess is over five. Yeah. F- oh, you, you got five... Over five points. You got six points on a five no, point. No, 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 no. Oh, for five. Zero. I got zero to five. <laughs> I understand. You got two out of five, my friend. Oh, hey, that's not bad. You saved it at the last moment because uh, Molly Sugden is in Coronation Street and Joe Black was in one episode of The New Avengers. Wow. And so the other the other gentlemen uh, rotated those roles, huh? Uh, Ian Lavender was in Cluedo. Mm-hmm. Donald, uh, Donald Hewitt was in Goldeneye. And Michael Knowles was in Vampire's Kiss. Mm, Vampire's Kiss. Something to look forward to when you watch it. You can watch for, you can watch for old Fanshawe. That's a good 10 years later, so he probably has some sort of fun mustache or something at that point. Here's my bet. I bet he's some sort of British vampire hunter. Yeah, probably. Probably dies in like the first scene. Shows up in New York to help Nicolas Cage with his vampire kiss. <laughs> well, is that the problem? He's having problems with specifically vampire kisses? Yeah, and this vampire hunter knows how to kiss a vampire. Uh, I bad. see. I mean, stop selling it. I'm, I'm there already. <laughs> All right. Here is the IMDb summary for episode five, The Housing Problem. Mrs. Noah decides they should all settle down in the crew quarters since it looks like they won't be rescued for some time. That was courtesy of BGP. I'm going to disagree with BGP there. I don't think it was Mrs. Noah that came up with the idea. I, I agree. It's not. This is not Mrs. Noah's plan. I think he's struggling to tie these into a cohesive sta- sentence. <laughs> I think BGP is a liar. I'm going to go on the record. I think he's a liar. I think he's just the man trying his best, George. <laughs> well, I don't know. Maybe we're splitting hairs. He just watched the show. He's struggling to stay awake. He's like, what was <laughs> that even about? He's writing these 30 years later. He's like, I don't know. I think she wanted to live in a house or something. Um, but it, once again, we start on a broadcast of far and wide. But unlike usual, mm-hmm. uh, this time, this episode is missing a scene. So we don't get to find out any of the news stories of the day. There's actually two points here. First, both of these episodes, episode five and episode six, we don't get any jokes. Now, I mean, it's debatable whether we ever got jokes on these far and wides, but in these, they go directly to essentially a setting up of what the plot of the episode's going to be. But I think you're right. In this episode, is there a scene missing? Because it looks like there was a cut. Yeah, I think in the YouTube video we're watching, uh, at the beginning of this broadcast, they're like, introduce far and wide, and then there's clearly like 
some sort of like error or destruction to the VHS tape. And then suddenly we're getting, it's like, now let's talk about Britannia space station. I'm like, Oh, I guess we don't get to hear today's racist headlines. Yeah. But then there's a similar sort of thing in the sixth episode, but there's no clear cut. So I wasn't sure if that's just, they just decided to drop those. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure. I guess we'll never know. Cause we don't know what was in that missing scene, but yeah, right. In the next episode, they just have given up on headlines. They had too much to cover. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have time for headlines, right. joke headlines that time. So we go, we, yeah, Far and Wide goes right into the ship. But correct me if I'm wrong. They're sort of start to decide, they, they're deciding at this point, we go back to the ship, the captain, and I guess I'll, we'll call him the commander, second in command, whatever. They're sort of deciding if they should take suicide pills. Oh, yeah. That was, that was weird. They cut up to them and they're just like, I think it's because we got, the newscaster's like, everyone on the ship is feeling good. And they cut up and then, the, yeah, Fenshaw and Carcer's like, should we kill ourselves? Hmm, let's think about it. And then, and then it did just pass over. And I was like, whoa, that was. Now, it's not that that would be an inherently funny topic, but I think this show has a tendency to set something up and then go in an opposite direction. It's like, well, there might be something funny there. There might be in that darkness of, you know, that disparity, but they're just like, hey, suicide pills. Anyways, moving on. Big yeah, butts I, or whatever. This show is not, I don't think this show, that's too dark. Like They got one joke out of it, but I think they were like, you can't spend too long in this territory. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> but yeah, eventually up on Britannia 7, they're stuck up there now. We do get some information, Jordan. You were wondering how often they go around this uh, around the planet Earth. Mm-hmm. They say they orbit the planet Earth every fifty three minutes. <laughs> so they're going, they're going so fast. They're just flying. They're just flying up there. Um, and in this episode, and probably in the next two episodes, maybe it's just he's always been this way, and it just has worn me down. But like Clive Cunliffe, the BBC reporter, has just gotten like. More obnoxious by the second. He is he is at his most obnoxious, I feel, in these two episodes. I agree. I think what it is is that in the previous episodes, there was always at least one or two sort of off-color comments about that Mrs. Noah is old or she's overweight or uh, some sort of, you know, kind of gross allusion to her lack of a sex life. There's been always at least one or two, but in these episodes, they're sort of like tripled. There's like five or six of the comments, and I think it's given the sense of an unnecessary meanness, if you will. I mean, it's just Clyde's been stuck up there so long. He's so angry. He's just taken out of Mrs. Noah. So he's got to be as, as he's has character would be as obnoxious as possible. So the character, he's just playing the character. I think they just, <laughs> they just need to give him some lines. And it's just like, that's what his character's become by episode six, right? It's just. I will say it does lead to a scene that I don't think I've ever actually seen in a sitcom happen. But Mrs. Noah fucking crowns him with that with a frying pan at some point he keeps insulting her i think the scene over and over like he just keeps making snide comments and then she's like that's enough of that and just smacks him in the head with a pan which i thought was actually pretty good for this show like if you're gonna hit someone you know three stooges style like at least do it that way when she hit him with the pan i thought it would just be like a clonk on the head but she goes for a full swing and the actor plays it like he was like knocked unconscious or killed yeah yeah <laughs> so there was a shocking amount of violence behind that pan swing which i really enjoyed at any rate oh and i should say the reason i think she gets really upset is the conversation they're having is that they've been up in the ship for a very long time and they're not quite explicitly saying it but they're sort of implying that after a certain amount of time they all probably will have to have sex with mrs noah that's the conversation and that's what eventually gets her so angry she hits him with the pot like i mean we don't need to get into it but that's what they're talking there there is a good five minutes at the start of that episode where the conversation is like who gets to have sex with mrs noah and it was just like i mean it's not good the audience is laughing i think they even know it's not good because they kind of skirt around it but i mean that's what this show is you know but they do finally get to the plot of the episode is apparently they have access to three living units on this space station 
or as the living units are known in this world, the normal Earth life imitation environments, or Nelly. for short, Nelly. Yeah, yes, yeah. Nelly, which receives next to no laugh. Like <laughs> it was his... funny, wasn't it? Because they laugh at every. Like if you tied your shoes on this show, like the audience would tear the seats apart. But this Nelly, it's like. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing, and I don't know if you noticed it, but like I felt like watching this episode, the like it's not that the laugh track was gone. The just audience wasn't reacting the way they'd been doing it for the last like four episodes. And it's because it's a bad episode, maybe. But like, it seemed like even that like in high intensity audience wasn't really feeling this episode. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. Maybe I'd have to go back and check. I I still think they're pretty boisterous. I mean, they were still laughing. I just didn't feel like it was quite like I didn't feel the aggressive oppression of that audience as I have in previous episodes. <laughs> well, so the the point we're getting to is they have sort of realized that they're not going to get rescued anytime soon. And they have to find new living quarters. But I have a question for you. That's kind of the plot of this episode is that they're going to have to find living quarters and sort of learn how to live on this ship, which does seem a little late. Episode five already to have gone to this conversation. It's only they've only been up there for three days. Yeah, regardless. (laughs) I had a question, though. They originally in episode one, and this is so nitpicky, I apologize in advance. They had mentioned that they were going to have something like I think it was like 50 or 75 people on this ship living full time. And now we've cut to a couple days later and they've decided, well, we better make the best of it. And there's only three rooms available on the ship. That doesn't make any sense at all. Like, I know it's setting up some comedy, but like, what? They try to, I think they try to cover it up because they say two things that I couldn't, like, I think are trying to. One of them was Carstairs implies he's only been given permission to use the tiny section of the ship. And then he also implies they never finished building everything or something. Like, it's only partly constructed. But you're right. It did. I was also just like, the ship is huge. You guys do not have to be on top of each other. Even if these places aren't finished, just go sleep in a hallway somewhere. That's what I mean. Like, even if there's a room that's, like, not furnished, I'm like, I'm sure you could make a room as opposed to setting up the hilarious comedy that we get to see. Yeah, but the point is, there's three rooms available, the most luxurious of which will go to Carstairs and Fanshawe as the most senior people aboard this mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they'll bunk together. The uh, The second class sort of cabin will be shared by Mrs. Noah and Clive, uh, because everybody knows that's the funniest couple to put together. So they got to go together. And then poor, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Garstang. Garstang is going to get like... Essentially like a janitorial closet. Was yeah, he's getting him. a utility room to sleep in because yeah. he's of a lower class than the rest. So he's, he gets less. And I mentioned it off the beginning of this episode. And you had previously said how he had kind of become the stand, standout star. And it's absolutely true. Like, I think there's something about his sadness and the performance the guy is, is doing about uh, multiple sort of uh, wounds this guy is getting over the course of these episodes that you can't not support him and uh, want to be on his side because he's just such a sad individual and they're mean to him for no reason. Yeah, everybody's so mean to him all the time. And he just like, he gets hurt, but he always bounces back. And you, you're just like, you can do a Garstang. Yeah, he's not oblivious to it, but he's sort of, he just is, yeah, he's just like, oh, that's another blow to my ego. Anyway, <laughs> I'm used to it. Yeah. So uh, we get to see some of their new flats they move into. Um, they're very like drab 70s decor like when they walked in there i was like oh this is yeah there's like long like flower curtains and stuff and everything's kind of beige and yellow and 
And like, there's a you know, we get to see a few futuristic ideas, and they're like the the window in Mrs. Noah's uh, flat will it's basically a slide projector that you can like switch through a bunch of different. So you could instead of a window, you can look at various different like places around the world by moving the slide. It's just a setup to be a racist joke. It's all there to make some racist jokes. Great. They have a, an imitation gas fireplace, which is just like another screen that plays a film reel of a of a of a gas fireplace and the joke there is just like oh it went out oh you got to feed the meter a coin to keep it going which i actually thought is there's some joke there i mean if you look into the future like people during christmas time just have their tv on with a digital fire playing you know there's the fireplace channel so it's like there's an idea there but again they set things up for an easy bunt you know or it's like hey, there's a digital screen. It can show you all these different scenarios. You're like, oh, maybe this could be a plot point or something interesting. They're like, no, there's a lot of Arabic people in England now. Wah, wah. And like, here's a digital thing. Here's a digital fireplace. You need to pay for it. It's like, is that funny? There's just, they don't even want to lean into their own setups for the jokes that they have, you know? I mean, they're just, they're to deliver a single punchline and to move past them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, next comes out, they have a robotic butler that comes with a flat, and he's, uh, he's a dude in a suit who uh, just kind of makes robotic movements and has a, like, very distorted voice. I had trouble understanding what he was saying. Yeah, I didn't understand it. His name's George, by the way. And then, uh, of course, if, if Clive is going to be staying with Mrs. Noah, where is he going to sleep? Leading to the climax of, the, of this entire scene when he pushes a button on the remote control that controls the room, and a Murphy bed comes out of the roll out of the wall and crushes him under the Murphy bed and everyone starts going crazy. Uh, the robot butler comes out. He's dancing around. He pokes Mrs. Noah's butt. The audience is laughing it up. They can't believe it. Yeah, how, we should have kept count. How many times has poor Mrs. Noah been poked in the butt? At least three or four. Oh, it, it's got to be more than that. I, I mean, the last two episodes when we really noticed it was a trend, I think they did like four an episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... It's just like, you know, there's someone in there who's like, guys, there's nothing funnier than someone getting poked in the butt. I mean, I, now that we know it's there, it is really something I'm noticing a lot. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, to help them simulate sort of a normal life up here in space, uh, Carstairs and Fanshawe decide to invite Mrs. No and Clive over for tea at their flat to kind of, you know, make things feel a little normal. And this it mostly just leads to a bunch of scenes with the two mathematicians having like, I, the joke is they're having very domestic squabbles about yeah. which flowers should come up in the in the flower automatic flower pot, and you've put a rag over top of our uh, cucumber sandwiches before our guests get It's all of it's played for like real couples comedy, like real domestic kind of stuff, and it it's so flat. It just doesn't well, work in any way, shape, or form. If if I'm being nice to the show, I think the joke is supposed to be a sort of odd couple type thing. Absolutely, but it's not. It doesn't work at all. It's not like one's really tidy and one's really messy how do they live together you know it's just it's so forced that it doesn't even really make sense why they put these two characters together like there's no semblance of comedy by having these characters stuck in this room well i think this is where and i could be wrong but this is where i felt like i wasn't here the audiences explode so it was actually tougher for me to pick out which were jokes sometimes just because like i didn't feel like the audience was even properly reacting like the way i expect them to react at every punchline wasn't there so i was just like that whole sequence felt so flat to me to be fair like an actual joke is at one point they're like oh we should get some flowers and the guy goes all right and he presses a button and flowers pop up and the guy's like daffodils i thought that'd be petunias that's the joke there's no uh, underlying song. it's just hey wouldn't it be funny if a different type of flower than the guy wanted appeared that's that's the jokes i believe he sings a song something like i'm a lonely coronation in an onion patch and yeah. then he just stands there and i'm like okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah all right moving on 
But Clive and Mrs. No come over. They're dressed to the, in their best for tea. There's a bit of a conversation about why Garstang was excluded from this uh, tea. Mm-hmm. And it's not because he's a se- he's he's of a lower class. It's because they're saving all their social interactions so they don't happen at once. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like this joke about Garstang not coming. They, you know, there's a lot of sort of looking around and seeing how they have a more luxurious flat. Can you believe it? And at one point... Their butler comes out and they're like, oh, you have a robot butler too. But he's like, not only do we have a robot butler, we also have a scantily clad robot maid who immediately comes out as well. You knew there was going to be some sort of joke here, some sort of sexualized joke because how well, they because ha- what she looks like and how she's dressed. You just weren't sure what area they were going to go in. Now, I'm not saying it's a good joke, but it's not as bad as it could have been. It's bad, but I think it could have been worse. You, It worked for you on some level. <laughs> It worked sure it worked for you. no what I'm saying is of the possibilities of offensiveness, they get like a a B. I'm gonna I'm just gonna give the woman who played the robot maid just some props because she was painted entirely pink. Yeah, she was, is, right? Uh, and with like glittery pink like glittery pink wig on, I was just like, that must have taken forever. And truly entirely painted because the joke with her is at some point you have to you have to give the the robots aren't very good like they're bad at pouring tea they're bad at pouring milk they're bad at like just doing the butler they're very well the problem is they're very robotic so they look exactly like humans but it seems like their movements and their understanding are not quite there so you have to be very specific with stuff so that's the joke they want to open i think it's a jam a a jam there's a jam jar that comes out it won't open and Fenshaw asks the butler to open and he doesn't respond and he's told to like ask more forcefully like make sure to listen to it and so he's like he like looks at the he looks at the butler and man's top off and the butler opens it but behind them the maid then takes off her shirt and you just see her in her bra still all pink which is why I was so impressed yeah which just keeps evolving they're like I believe like he's just like after they get the top off he's putting the butler's putting jam on their yell and one of them yells more and at which point the robot takes her skirt com- off completely strips behind them and which was funny to me because. Or Clive Cunliffe, the reporter, his character is, like, never consistent. Like, as soon as he knows it's happened, he, like, jumps up and puts his coat over her in a very, like, shivers way. I'm like, his character would never act that way. No, because he's made, like, ain't I so horny comments, you know, he's nonstop for the last five all, episodes. All lewd comments. But here he feels shame for this poor robot and puts a jacket on her and scuttles her out of the room. Now, this bad joke aside, which is clearly like, hey, wouldn't it be funny if we had an attractive woman and she took her clothes off? That's the joke. Well, what is it? You call, it's like this is a real Benny Hill moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think they were really missing a beat here that they could have introduced these robots earlier on and there could have been other sorts of funny sci-fi situations they could have set up. But again, they sort of like, wouldn't it be funny if we had a robot? What if we have the robot take her clothes off? That's as far as the conversation went. And I'm not even saying it's that bad. Like, look, it's demeaning. It's not funny. It hasn't aged well. It's not as offensive as this show could be. But (laughs) yeah, there's so many more opportunities for humor that this show doesn't want to even try because it's too much effort. I didn't feel like this was even necessarily a joke. It was just like, oh, we're losing people's attention. What if we had a woman in a bra and panties? That'll get them back. Yeah, that'll get that'll get the audience back on side, right? <laughs> well, that's it, it, the thing is like, is that what the audience for the show is? Is it men who are looking to see women scantily clad? Because I don't think that is the audience. Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. I don't know what, but it's 1970s. I have no idea what's happening here. It's yeah. madness to me. But yeah, I mean, this whole scene goes on and on. At some point, uh, Garstang calls because he can't find anyone on the ship anywhere to hang out with. And when he calls, they try to hide behind the couch, but everyone can see them hiding there. So he's just like, are you guys having tea without me? I was invited. And he's, you know, he's wounded and sad. So he like hangs up on them on the video screen. 
Mrs. Noah and Clive are like kind of offended that they've hurt Garstang's feelings and then they get in a fight because they're always bickering and you know there's that whole scene where like we're not living together anymore I'm gonna find someplace else to live and they storm off and then as we've seen with the domestic squabbles between uh, Fanshawe and Carstairs they also immediately start squabbling and Fanshawe's just like I'm not living here with you I'm finding my own place and the idea being that like these living quarters have like should have eased tensions but have just increased tensions exponentially and we're kind of left with the lead mathematician Carstairs alone in his flat. He's looking around and he's like starting to feel a little lonely. Fenshaw's gone. Everyone else is gone. So he he wanders over to his old video screen and calls up Garstang and says, hey, Garstang, want to come over and hang out now? But on the screen, Garstang's like, everybody's come over for tea. So I'm afraid I'm too busy. And uh, the jo- I guess that's the end. Garstang wins. His perseverance won the day, I guess. So there we are. That's the episode. Everyone felt so bad they went to visit Karstang. I'm like, what a reversal, you guys. And which brings us to The Last Change, which is episode six, the last episode of the series. I just want to note, note one thing about this episode before we move on. Mm-hmm. Because these episodes are all taking place within like a 72-hour period. Yeah. Like all the stuff so far has happened in a 72-hour period. We actually get cutaways this entire time to... Uh, Garfield, the head of Mission Control, and Scarth there, who last episode flew away on that ship. And in this episode, we're cutting away to them. They still they still haven't returned to Earth. Their ship is still on the way back to Earth, and they're still making out on the ship. And then when we... I think the next this next episode we're going to talk about, they're back on Earth, but, like, they're still just making out. <laughs> I mean, they'll have to make out. Although there was one insane gag on this part, because I guess they're flying back to Earth on this ship, and for whatever reason, it's never clear to me, but... The two of them are sort of worried maybe they're not going to survive the trip back to Earth or something. So they're, you know, making out like they always do. And then at some point they get a call from Mission Control saying, yeah, you're cleared to come back. Everything's fine. Oh, and by the way, uh, Garfield, your wife called. She's going to be happy to see you. And in the scene before that, Garfield just promised he'd leave his wife for her, for Scarth Dare. And as soon as he hears he's going to see his wife, he's like, well, tell my wife I can't wait to see her. And it'll be the most wonderful re-engagement. And Scarth's all offended. I thought you were going to leave your wife for me. That's it. What a bizarre comedy happening between these two characters. But again, you've given as much time as they do on screen. I think this takes up probably maybe a minute. They get maybe a minute screen time, but they get three to five cutaways of them on this show making out. Yeah, it's because you you need that serialization to stay consistent. But yes, we'll move on now to the IMDb summary for episode six, The Last Chance. Has our orbit gone eccentric? Uh, Well, you're no longer in orbit. Where the hell are we then? Well, you're heading for the outer limits of the solar system. <laughs> Everything's all right, isn't it? <laughs> well, just a, a temporary hitch, that's all. <clears throat> Where are we? Well, uh, we passed the moon a couple of minutes ago. <laughs> and according to that estimator, we should get a good view of Venus by tea time. <laughs> oh, fancy. I'd better go and put the kettle on. <laughs> Ground Control comes up with a plan to bring the Britannia 7 closer to Earth, slow the space station, and individually eject its passengers. And that was courtesy of BGP. Hmm. A final one by BGP. And again, we start with far and wide. They, again, don't really give any jokes, which might just be the new format that we're getting. Right, and they're going right, right into the episode. Right into the episode. I think they've been up there a week now, right? Yeah, this is the first time jump we've had. It's now been a week since uh since they've been up in space oh and the first joke we're going to get in this episode is a sort of prop uh we've mentioned it before some of the gags are just the prop department doing the work and this is mrs noah comes out kind of complains about not being able to make pancakes properly i think is the 
new fancy futuristic pan it looks more like a pot like i don't know why she'd be using this as a pan but it's big and heavy she can't flip it uh what's his face cunliffe makes some nasty comments to her again about how she's dumb and her batter's too thick that goes on for a minute and then it all culminates in the pan she's using has an automatic flipper and the audience really appreciates it i mean as far as gags go it's very dumb but it is at least something but yeah the pancake on her giant pan her no- giant nonstick pan is an auto flipper. So pancake has a little string on it that we can't see, like fishing wire. And someone uh, just lifts the pancake up and then like causes it to flip over by itself very yeah. slowly. Yeah. I think this show has more breakfast related jokes or attempts at them than any show we've ever seen. Very high on its breakfast content, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's it. And there's some jokes. I, some For some reason, Mrs. Noah has become the sh- cook on the ship for some reason. Mm-hmm. That's the role she's taken on. And there's some jokes about how her food is so bad when they when they eject it into space, it gets destroyed by the Russian death rays because they're, they're too dangerous in space or something. I don't know. The, I guess the joke being Russia has death rays. I didn't know if that was a actual, supposed to be actually happening or if it was some sort of, sarcastic joke it doesn't really matter it has no effect on the show but here's here's my comment for you luke so we go right into everyone's like oh breakfast blah 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 they go into the room where they have breakfast yeah in the galley and we get what is essentially a beat by beat repeat of a joke you loved which was the chicken egg joke but now it's done with jam and my thought was it's not even that in terms of jokes on this show it's not the worst however how sad is it that it's only taken six episodes to literally repeat the same joke? And we get it a few times in this episode. They can't recapture the magic of the space hen, though, man. It's just it's just a nozzle in a wall that provides jam, and then the jam just squirts out at a variety of velocities, and they just can't catch it on a plate. And you're just seeing, like, red jam splash all over the ground. Yeah, it's a very, like, a classic Isle of Lucy-esque kind of joke where she can't keep up with the speed of this jam shooting out. So, you know, it's going to get on her, get on the floor, and it's a lot of her flustered running around that's the joke it doesn't really work look it's not bad for this show it just is it is what it is it just didn't recapture the magic of space hen i guess not um but yes that's sort of the opening to this bit is we get another little classic bit of uh, breakfast comedy and then uh the gang decides they got to do something normal so they all head off golfing on the, i guess this ship has a holodeck equivalent so they all head off to golf. Not Garstang, though. Garstang's not invited as per usual. Again, this is sort of a beat repeated from the previous episode, which is the joke is they're going to do something and exclude him. That's, yes. you know, I, I don't know how funny that is, but that's the premise of this setup. I mean, at least this setup is better than the pre- them just going over someone's boring flat and having tea. They're going golfing. And essentially the room they go to is just this like big empty cargo bay. It's all green. And essentially, they just do some green screen chroma key stuff here where, like, to go to the golf course, they push some buttons. And now a green screen comes up and they're standing in front of a golf course on a green screen. And they're just going to, like, golf at, I think they call it St. Andrews is the course they're playing at. Yeah, it's a famous golf course in Scotland. Um, but uh, the the weird thing about this is I thought it was just sort of like you're saying, like, a hologram type thing or holodeck. But it's actually connected to the actual golf course because there becomes jokes later. I thought it was just supposed to be, like... A way to shoe off Garstang, but like you actually have to be a member of the it's, actual golf course. I think the idea we'll, we'll get into it, we'll, but I think the thing is like to make the simulation real, they have to punch in the computer and ask the I believe they call it the virtual the uh, simulated club secretary if a new a new member can join. So I think it is more this like 
it's all just jokes. Like, I mean, when they go into the simulation, the whole idea is like, oh, it's so real. You can hear the air and the birds. And, like, you get to see a, like, really bad uh, seagull puppet fly by above their heads, which mm-hmm. was kind of funny. I like this. I like that. And Cunliffe gets to be such a drag because I get his thing supposed to be like, I'm sarcastic. But it just kind of comes out as annoying on an already annoying show where it's like, isn't this really dumb? I'm like, yeah, it is dumb. Why am I watching the show? <laughs> You related to him too much there. No, no, no. I didn't. This is dumb. I didn't relate to him. It was dumb, but I don't need a character also being negative. It's like. I I will say his his joke with the bird I I quite liked because the bird flies over and it just like looks like a terrible puppet bird. He's just like lifelike. And I was like, pretty good. But just, you know, there's another kind of joke that when they're talking about how realistic it is, they mention that they can smell curry. Oh, I missed that one. Yeah. They're like, oh, what's that smell? They're like. It's curry because the joke being there's Indian people around now in England. That's I it. missed that. Oh, though they never miss a chance. Nope. Eh? They never nope. miss a chance. Anyway, as you can imagine, as we've said, Garstang's uh, left out. So as they start golfing, Garstang wanders in, and of course he's upset that he wasn't invited to play golf with them. There's a you know, like we said, a series of jokes where he's like. Carstairs can't put him can't invite him to golf on the simulated golf course because he doesn't have enough guest passes like it's quite clearly he's trying to exclude him because he's of a lower class they ask the virtual club secretary if he can become a member and and he's like over my dead body like he just you know he's not allowed to join so they end up finding a solution by he gets to be the caddy and it's a lot of you know they start treating him badly because he doesn't know the driver he doesn't know he has to carry all their bags while they take the cart so that's the the humor yeah yeah and i mean that the cart a cart comes out of the wall and they do a classic bit of green screen i mean you know because it's a comedy they can kind of pull it off but that green screen mime work where they're like the green starts moving as if the cart's driving and garstang has to like run on the spot mm-hmm. behind them to simulate movement which is you know it's fine it's just classic green screen work yeah. humor but what does happen is as they're moving to the next part of the green, apparently the simulation can also simulate rain. So it starts raining on them, and then that rain short circuits the holodeck, and they have to give up on golf. <laughs> and that's it. That's that whole kind of bit. Little a little holodeck humor, which is uh, I don't think was there a holodeck on the original Star Trek? Did no. they invent the holodeck? No, I think there was something similar in the Star Trek cartoon series, but it wasn't really to the next generation. They really really made it a thing. So Mrs. No invented the holodeck. That's then. right. Absolutely true. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> So now uh, that's pretty much the main plot of this episode. But should we talk about the the B plot, which is weird they have one? Well, I actually think this is the B plot, but it could go either way because they take up equal amounts of time in this episode. But like Mission Control has come up with a new plan to get them home. And the golfing was just a distraction while they prepare this plan. And that plan is they're going to shoot a laser up, bounce it off 75 different satellites. And that laser will go up the exhaust port of Britannia 7 and uh, fire their a microburst of their ultra drive. And this is all done via... It's funny, you mentioned this earlier. This is done via the exact same joke we had the previous time they had breakfast, where essentially it's just a really complicated diorama, mm-hmm. and people are like having to look at a bunch of different... It's kind of when like the breakfast food rotated around each other that time. Like It's the same basic joke. It's like, look how complicated this diorama is to explain this like simple premise of like we need to like get laser from here to here. They're going to do something that's going to propel the ship back to earth that's basically what it all comes down to yeah so they do this complicated gag which is a repeat but yeah the ultra drive is going to push the ship back into the atmosphere they'll all be able to dive out of the ship and land back on earth and this is sort of how the rescue attempt's going to go and this sort of leads to a gag where the costume department has come up with what they call hella gliders which is the personal ejection suits they'll use which are just like full silver jumpsuits with a giant like paragliding wings on top 
and a little uh, propeller backpack on the back to like propel you down and kind and, of a pointy helmet and kind of a pointy helmet and originally we see it kind of they've made a little gi joe doll that has an example of what this looks like and i thought that's all we'd see of this outfit because it looks too complicated to create but then we cut to a training sequence and they've built a life-size one which mrs no is now wearing she looks like a rocketeer it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and this poor woman is so game for uh, the humiliation this show loves putting onto her. But they have her on a trampoline wearing this silver costume with wings and a propeller kind of on her back so that they can test. I don't know why they'd have her to test it because of comedy, I guess. But the idea is that when the ship starts coming back into Earth, they're all going to eject from the ship and then kind of float down using this suit which sort of also operates as like a glider slash parachute type thing so they're going to test it and you know they're now going to test it with like a wind machine that's the comedy that you're going to get now yeah yeah her training involves a tramp jumping on a trampoline being held up by ropes to simulate zero gravity and then they turn on a big fan and like blow fake snow into her face so constant comedy on yeah and she can kind of float a little bit like we've seen again before in the show and it's like well, let's put her in an embarrassing situation. That's that's the joke. That's the joke. That's that's how it works. Um, and once the training concludes, uh, they get ready. They're all dressed up in these suits, getting ready to jump. Uh, Garfield is down in Mishcon. They do a lot of jokes about how the place Mission Control is called Mishcon for some reason. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it, but there there it is. Just so funny, shortened words, man. Hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, he he's getting ready to push the button to fire the ultra drive that'll push them back to Earth. And of course, at the moment as the countdown's happening he needs to push the right button he's saying how important is he pushes the right button he looks over makes eyes with scarf there and it's like mm, maybe i should make out with her real quick and then he pushes the wrong button and he blasts them out of orbit and into deep space oh and uh let me just go back real quickly we haven't mentioned it earlier in this episode because we keep cutting back to mission control and blah 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 what they're going to be doing and it's the first time we've seen i don't know the names scarf there and whatever the guy's name is garfield garfield they're constantly making eyes at each other. But we see some other characters that we've kind of, I think I've had a line or two over the last five episodes. And the the point that we get is that everyone dislikes these two because their relationship is very obvious and is clearly interfering with the atmosphere of the, of the office they work in. But the interesting thing about it is that the anger seems to be directed not at him, but at her. Yes, I mean... This was this was a time in the world that was very bad. <laughs> and like they make I think they make a joke that she must be dumb and they also imply that the only reason she's there is because she's sleeping with him. It's I mean classic comedy bits. I, I And don't I'll know just I'll just point out in in her defense, she didn't push the button at the wrong time, he did. I mean, he's the one who's messing this all up more yeah. often than not. Mm-hmm. I would say she seems more competent other than her I'd agree. poor choice in this man. <laughs> But no, it's essentially like the gag is when they're getting ready to come down, he pushed the wrong button and now they're no they're no longer in orbit. We've fired our five protagonists into deep space forever leaving Earth behind. Yeah, and we get a shot of you can see them passing Earth getting smaller and then the ship going further and further. I think they mentioned some joke like, oh, they go, ooh, we'll, we'll be in Venus by tea time. And then uh, Mrs. Noah not being very bright, of course, is like, oh, get the tea ready then. That's it. And that's it. The The episode ends. I guess we're left to presume uh, the five of them died in space. Well, I guess what they were, I assume, hoping for was that the second season would be more of the same. But you don't have, dare I say, the crutch of mission control uh, having that uh, dangling that idea they're coming back. Now it's going to be the jokes of how to survive on huh. this ship. Honestly, you know what? 
I do want to see season two, but now they're just orbiting an alien planet and everything on the everyone's green on the planet, but it's the exact same structure. Is this, like, I mean, it would fit in with this show, right? They're like, oh, it's Venus, and it's all the Venusians have the exact same mission control, and the people are green. You know, there's like a there's an alien far and wide, and they're like a weird alien spaceship is now orbiting our planet, and you just have like just jokes like that. No, yeah. it's fine. It would work just fine. But alas, there was only one season, only one series. That's all there was to be. Well, Jordan. I don't think you have any final notes, do you? What else? What's left to say about the show? I kind of think it's a bit of a shame. Now, like, I've been hard on this show, I think, somewhat justifiably. I don't regret watching this. I'm glad we watched this for the podcast. I think it was something different. It was something interesting to see. Uh, not only a, uh, a view into a certain time period of TV, but a certain style of TV that was being attempted to be made. I do think, though, that it fails... Even as a show that would be just something dumb you put on in the background, it just, I don't know, it just like the most minor jokes don't even really work. I'm sure it's not the case, but it feels like everyone except for the actors who are mugging as hard as they can to sell jokes that aren't very good. It just feels like no one worked very hard at this. And I know that's not the case, but that's the feeling I get watching it is just like, whatever, who cares? Let's just make this show because we have to. I don't know. Yeah, I mean... And there's no way that's what it was because clearly these people didn't have to make the show. They were already very successful. So it's just such a weird show that way. It's just like someone clearly decided we want to make this, but then we're like, oh, I don't know what to do with it. I mean, that's that's probably what it is, right? It's like the show kind of knows where the comedy is, but it doesn't – it's not what it wants to lean into. Because the idea of being stuck on a spaceship away from your security and your loved ones with people you don't know – that's a setup for humor, but that's not the kind of humor they really want. They want the humor to be, by the way, England's different, thus it's bad. Poke, poke, poke. Look at this lady. She's not the ideal figure we want her to be. Poke, poke, poke. Those are the jokes where I just think, you've already set up a funny situation. Why not use that? I guess that, that's a good point. A lot of the jokes have nothing to do with the fact they're stuck on a space station. Yeah, that's that's the setup. That's the joke. It it's like this all could have happened at a pub. Yeah. Oh, it's it's there's a zombie apocalypse and they're stuck in a pub. It's the exact same show. It's just that you set up the thing that they're stuck on the space station and the only reason they used that was for the serialization that was just there to waste time. It's like I didn't decide to have them stuck up there. Why not make that the humor? It is one weird thing with the show that I I'm not going to give them credit for, it, but it's just like one of the things I just like was most blown away by is like how serialized it was how this was happening in 72 hours it's crazy it didn't have to be it didn't hurt the show to have that but it was an odd choice i mean it you'd almost think they'd do it for some sort of uh sense of momentum or like propulsion of the show but that's not really what it's for it's just they decided we want to know every moment of these people them going to bed and then waking up and having breakfast and then going to bed like that's what that's what they wanted i mean it's a bold choice i i couldn't tell you why they made it but a bold choice nonetheless (laughs) Anyways, I mean, it's a show where they expect the audience to do the legwork of the humor, and it is what it is, but an interesting snapshot of a type of show that you don't see anymore. Maybe a precursor to some of these kind of gaudy kind of shows like Two and a Half Men or something. I think it's perhaps a bit of a precursor to that sort of show, but if not, if not a direct line can be drawn. Well, Jordan, what do you want to rate the uh, episode The Housing Problem? I'm going to give it a 2 out of 10, I think. I don't think it was the worst. I don't think it was the best. I think it's about where the show comfortably sits. I think this was my least favorite of the ones oh, really? I watched, maybe. I just, I 
I think it was too. I don't think anything landed. I think when they were just, it was mostly domestic jokes, which I was just like, I don't like. None of this has to do with. It was the one where they, I felt ventured furthest away from the science fiction premise. So like, yeah, other than the robots, maybe. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it like a one, a one point five. Okay. Oh well, you know what? We're not too far off. I mean, we're not too far. Off. I mean, how low? Can, you just not you can't go much lower than two. <laughs> Um, and then finally, the last chance. I'm gonna give also give this a two, and I should have mentioned it in my previous review. I think at least one point for every epi- for both these episodes goes to uh, um, uh, I can never remember his name, uh, Garstang, because I think the actor either it's just the development of watching him for six episodes, or it's it's actually him kind of selling a little more. But I think uh, he elevated what is a very thankless role to something that is moderately amusing well he's the only likable character he's the only one you could feasibly feel any like kindness to yeah so anyways two to ten because i mean he serves a similar function to mrs noah but mrs noah just ends up not being like even though you feel bad for how badly she's treated she's not particularly likable either so it's not like you can't really get on her side because they want you to also kind of they want you to not like her as well like they want you to be on the side of the reason we're making fun of her is because she's old. Isn't that funny? You're on my side. And so it's like it's hard to feel sympathy because I'm not on their side, you know? Well, I mean, n- nobody's likable with the exception of Garsting. That's why he's the standout character. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so what do you think? I'm going to give it a two, um, if only because I thought the at least the green screen was a little more science fiction interesting. Uh, I mean, I don't know. There's not a lot more to it. I like the bird, the bird puppet, too. That's fine. Well, I think it's time then. Why don't we uh, grab our silver duster, our, uh, our futuristic duster, dust off the machine, start punching in numbers. I'll reach around you to push the numbers in. Like uh, the one character was teaching Mrs. Noah how to golf, and it was like that romantic tension. I'll reach around you and push the buttons and give you a hug at the same time, and then we'll see what the score is. Oh, I thought you were referring to the time when the uh, two robots tried to walk through a door at the same time, but they're uh, they they're too big, so they keep they keep bumping into each other until they get tangled together because they're robots and they don't know what they're doing. Another home run joke from uh, Mrs. Noah. All right, Jordan. Here's the series average. For Come Home, Mrs. Noah, 2.44. <laughs> now, I think this might be our lowest rated show, right? No. What's impossible. our lowest rated show? I'd, uh, I'd have to go back. but I, uh, Dune must have been low. <laughs> oh, I bet it's not. It's a good question what our lowest rated show is. I'm not sure. I don't think this is our lowest. I feel like we've had a lower rated show. I think we've done worse TV movies, but I don't think we've had a lower rated show. But you know what? We we can check and, and you can throw it on Twitter later. I'm not going to. <laughs> Attaboy. Um, but that that's it. I, I think it's supposed to say not recommending this to anyone. No. Don't bother. It's not worth it. There's nothing there for you. I mean, if you're really curious, check out one episode. That will tell you exactly what this show is. I mean, I wouldn't recommend to anyone who wants to have an entertaining time. Uh, no, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Um, but that, at least for us, is a wrap on Comeback Mrs. Noah. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you have to email us any final thoughts on Comeback Mrs. Noah, you can get us at continuandrag at gmail.com and on Instagram and Twitter at continuandrag is the handle there. We'll have uh, some final clips from uh, Comeback Mrs. Noah. Hopefully that bird flapping over, self-flipping pancakes. Butt poking. Butt poking. <laughs> we got it all. We got it all. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that wraps it up. So listener, thank you for joining us to this final Mrs. Noah episode. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. 
Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler, produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Hughes.